This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Everything is changing so fast, but now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. I joined an event last night, an event supporting WGBH, which is one of our NPR stations. And we were, of course, talking about the war in Ukraine. And somebody asked me, if you could interview Vladimir Putin, what would your first question be? I had to think about that for a minute, and then it came to me. My first question to Putin would be, do you think you're winning? Do the people around you tell you? Do you know about the equipment breakdowns, the tanks in the mud, the helicopters shot down, the casualties, the effects of economic sanctions on your own country? Do you know that? And whatever you've been told, how does it match up with your goals for the war? I'd like to know if Putin thinks he's winning, because I'd like to know how well he's informed. It turns out the U.S. government has been wondering the same thing, and the United States at least asserts that Putin doesn't know all the facts. Defense officials spoke with reporters, including our colleague Tom Bowman. One source I spoke with said this is not new. Uh, Putin's been not, not been getting uh, accurate information now for weeks. Uh, the White House said today Putin is being, quote, misinformed, uh, and there's tension between Putin and his military. Uh, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said there are indications Putin is not being fully informed by his defense ministry, but he wouldn't get into specifics uh, on intelligence matters. So that, according to the United States, is an answer to what Putin knows or doesn't know. Of course, the Russians do seem to be repositioning their forces in some way, which implies that someone in command has gathered information and made an adjustment, and the war is nowhere near over which is why Ukrainians are looking for more support. Here in Washington yesterday, we got on the line with a Ukrainian leader who is on the move. Her name is Anastasia Radina. She's part of Ukraine's parliament and of President Volodymyr Zelensky's governing party. And she was in Washington, D.C., making her way into the Capitol building as we spoke. We are here in delegation of ladies-only Ukrainian MPs because men do have their duty to serve in Ukraine right now. I see. So you're the ones who are available to come here. We do our job with words, sharing our stories and getting as much attention to them as possible. Anastasia Radina traveled to the United States seeking more help for her country. We need military support first and foremost. And when I'm saying military support, we're not asking to send U.S. troops to fight on Ukrainian soil. We are fighting and we are fighting courageously. We are winning so far, but in order to ensure that we do win, we need weapons and we need that urgently. When I say urgently, I basically mean yesterday without any delay. Of course, the United States has been supplying anti-tank missiles and anti-aircraft missiles, most notably, along with other kinds of equipment. What kinds of equipment or weapons do you need that you're not getting? As of now, we are still talking about the need for fighter jets. We're talking about the need for air defense systems. This is crucial to save the life of Ukrainian civilians who are right now suffering much more than the servicemen because Russian troops are knowingly and deliberately making a war against Ukrainian civilians. For example, the whole world is watching in horror in Mariupol, where people are for weeks without food, without electricity, without 
without heating, in shelters, in basement, without opportunity to get any life supplies. Russian troops are not allowing humanitarian corridors. I'm afraid I have to say that the situation is as bad that uh, dead bodies are piling up on the streets and there is simply no one able to ensure proper and dignified burial for these people because shellings are going on constantly and 90% of the city is already in ashes. As you and I are talking, Russian and Ukrainian representatives have emerged from peace talks in Istanbul and Russian officials have been saying their troops are backing away from Kiev and that they see that as a constructive step to create room for negotiations. What do you make of that statement? We are in war with Russia, actually, from 2014, when Russia first invaded and occupied Crimea, and then when Russia supported terrorist troops invaded Donetsk and Lugansk regions. So we trust Russia when we see their troops actually withdrawing, not before. Can I just ask, um, you're originally from Kiev, is that right? Yes, I am from Kiev. I am. Have you spent a lot of your days and nights in bomb shelters? Unfortunately, I had to, yes. How's your family? My family is in Ukraine. So right now my family and one, my two-year-old son is in Ukraine. And I have an application in my cell phone that tells me about air raid alarms in the community where my son is staying. And may tell you, this is the most terrifying experience I have ever had, being a mother hearing the air raid alarm in the community where my son is staying while I'm advocating on behalf of all Ukrainian mothers and their kids. That experience must be multiplied millions of times in Ukraine right now. Exactly. And uh, many, many mothers in Ukraine have much more terrifying experiences. For example, we have just learned that a dead newborn has been recovered in shelter in Mariupol. Allegedly, there simply was no possibility to feed him. There are mothers who, who are blocked in shelters under rubble with no opportunity to feed their babies. There are mothers who have to explain to their kids why they are witnessing their parents dying. There are terrifying experiences all over Ukraine, and these are just few that get highlighted. So we, we're sure to hear more of that terrifying stories. Anastasia Rodina is a Ukrainian legislator now in the United States as part of what she called a ladies-only delegation because Ukrainian men are serving in the military. Some of the battles in this war have taken place on the Internet. President Biden, as you may know, warned Russia against cyber attacks on the United States and recently warned U.S. companies to be ready if those attacks come. We don't know that they have, but there is evidence of battles underway elsewhere. Our cybersecurity correspondent Jenna McLaughlin told Elsa Chang about it. You know, we've heard so much about cyber in the lead up to this war, but it never really came, right? Why is that? Sure. So all of my friends have been asking me exactly that. Where is the cyber war we were promised? You know, will this latest comment from President Biden, for example, be Putin's excuse to shut down the energy grid? You know, it's hard to say exactly why that hasn't happened. There's a lot of theories about Russia wanting to keep the Internet up for themselves, for example, operations we don't know about yet. Plus, the reality that bombs rather than cyber attacks are an easier way in a lot of cases to destroy critical infrastructure. True. But all along, cyber attacks have been a useful tool for helping with broader strategies. It's really been a thorn in Ukraine's side. Oh, really? How so? Say more about that. 
Sure. So look, I mean, the, the biggest attack was maybe the most subtle and it's still being investigated. And that was on European satellites at the beginning of the invasion uh, that prevented the Ukrainian military from communicating in some cases. Those hackers are actually still targeting the satellites, and it's been really challenging to resume service in Ukraine, though it appears there hasn't been permanent damage. Uh, it's hard to attribute an attack like that this early, but Western intelligence agencies are pointing to Russia as the culprit. Beyond that, we've also seen a massive amount of denial-of-service attacks, tampering with Ukrainian media sites, wiper malware destroying some computers in Ukrainian government agencies and companies. Just this week, we saw an attack on a Ukrainian Internet provider that Ukrainian officials were investigating. And that's just what the Russians are doing. Right. Well, what about on the Ukrainian side? What kind of cyber war efforts do we see there? It's really been fascinating. We've seen this mobilization of Ukrainians in all walks of life to volunteer for the war effort. And that includes in cyber and information space. Uh, There's a volunteer IT army of hackers who are working with the Ministry of Digital Transformation. There's a collective of artists and translators and others fighting the information war against Russia with memes. Plus, hacktivists have come to Ukraine's side. A collective of hackers under the banner of Anonymous, a group that's been around for decades, Mm -hmm. have claimed to breach a large number of prominent Russian agencies. But it'll probably take researchers years to verify and go through all that information. Huh, interesting. Well, you know, we have also been hearing that Russia might launch a cyber attack against the U.S. What does that possibility look like right now? Yeah, so over recent weeks, the White House, the FBI, DHS, the cyber agency, CISA, have been increasing their alarm about a possible Russian cyber attack against U.S. businesses. And that would be a sort of a retaliatory blow for U.S. support to Ukraine in the war. Uh, They haven't gone into too much detail, but they are saying that they're seeing bad actors scanning the Internet for vulnerable networks. They're essentially seeking out potential targets who haven't patched known vulnerabilities that they could use as a foothold to get inside, uh, particularly in the energy sector. So this kind of activity happens all the time, but an increase in targeted activity towards one sector could suggest a possible attack. Uh, During a hearing yesterday, the assistant director of the FBI Cyber Division, Brian Vondran, said that it's impossible to predict if Russia will launch this kind of attack or use cyber to win the war, but he called Russia a formidable foe in cyberspace. That was NPR's cybersecurity correspondent, Jenna McLaughlin. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News, NPR's best reporting on a war that's changing the world. It's updated at least twice a day. Sean Saldana produced, Kelly Dickens and Catherine Laidlaw edited. I'm Steve Inskeep. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. ShipBob's warehouse management system can improve your efficiency, allow you to grow faster, and save you money all through one WMS platform. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.